This is uh, Ink Studs on CITR 101.9 FM. My guest right now is Eleanor Davis. Uh, I c- you have a, a big, I guess, range of work. Like, mm-hmm. I- I'm having a hard time being specific. I mean, the Secret Science Alliance is your latest book, book. Um, but then I look at the art show you just did for Giant Robot, and it's a whole other world of work. Mm-hmm. So I guess we'll say you're a multifaceted cartoonist. Thank you. That's that's a kind way to put it. Other people have been known to say that I'm just indecisive. I don't think so. No, because I've known other folks that do different ranges of work. I mean, Art mm-hmm. Spiegelman does the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. He does kids' Very stuff, good. and he does his adult stuff. Mm-hmm. You know? what? Where yeah. else can you go from there, you know? Yeah, it's, so. it's something I admire a lot in other artists. Is there a particular uh, draw you feel over one or the other in directions? Um, not not particularly. I mean, to some extent, the I have um doing stuff for grownups is easier for me. Uh, it's kind of what I was initially. Um, the more serious work that I did was for adults, mm-hmm. but. In some strange way, I feel like the work I do for kids is more important, um, that it's more likely to make a difference in people's lives. How do you mean important? Well, um, I guess the just the, the work that you read when you're a kid, uh, when, when you're a grown-up, you kind of have your, your life is a little bit more stabilized to some extent. You have more control over your life. Um, but I think that for some kids, the, the books that they read can really be a lifeline, um, you know, away from the things that they don't have any control over, uh, school and, you know, their friends and stuff like that. And uh, so for, for me, when I was a kid, uh, the books that I loved were, you know, I really loved them. They were, they were vital to my life. And, uh, and so I guess that the, the hope to be able to make a book like that that can have that sort of a meaning to a kid um, just seems like it would be really incredible if mm-hmm. I could achieve that. You know, and, and then all the good stuff like uh, encouraging kids to read is always very important. and um, Encouraging kids to, you know, have confidence and be proud of themselves. And for, from a more, you know, specific, comic-specific perspective, uh, I think it's really important that kids start reading comics at a very young age so that they can become literate uh, in comics and continue to love comics for the rest of their life. I had, and I'm sure you already knew this, uh, Francoise Moulion, mm-hmm. and we talked about her line, the, the tune books, and yeah. that was, yours was one of the first, I think, to come uh, out. Yeah, I think I was the second wave. The second, very early on in it. Mm-hmm. Um now, was that one of your earliest, as far as attempts in doing kids' work? Mm-hmm. Yep, that would have been my first one. And what kind oh, of in- involvement and guidance did she provide in that? Oh man, she was she was just great. Uh, Francoise was really great because she has a huge amount of respect for artists, and uh, so isn't she's not like bossy. Um, she she kind of. Um, you know, wants to work with you to make sure that the, the comic can be the best 
possible, but she also, uh, you know, she knows just such a huge amount. She's been involved with the comics community for forever, mm-hmm. and uh, um, she just knows exactly what comics are capable of and really uh, respects them as a medium, um, which was really special to be able to, to work with her, um, having that perspective. I know she had, like, a very specific vision as far as, I guess, uh, readability goes. Did you learn a lot from that as far as, like, how you're approaching your work for com- kids for comics, comics for kids? Yeah, it was, I mean, it was definitely trickier than I thought it would be because uh, I'm, I'm really proud of the book that I wrote, Thinky, mm-hmm. but it was, it was uh, definitely a learning experience of, not you know for easy readers they're just very specific words that can and cannot be understood by kids uh the reading levels of the age groups that are able to read certain words uh you know a seven-year-old um might not be able to word read the same words that an eight-year-old can and uh and it was it was really neat because they did tons of test reads with with kids Mm -hmm. and uh, the stuff that they the kids did and did not understand Oh, it's a real eye-opener for me. What were some of the books when you were a kid that helped you or kind of you held to your heart? Um, to when I was a really young kid or... When you're a child, kid, whatever, preteen, teen. Well, it, was, it was interesting because my, my parents were actually really into comics, um when they were, you know, they've, they've always been really into comics as well, uh, which is something that I don't think that all um, comics cartoonists have the, uh, mm-hmm. they, they don't have that opportunity. So I grew up in a house that was, my mom had a huge collection of Little Lulus, um, we had all the old Crazy Cats, uh, tons of Little Nemo, Little Abner, uh, Pogo, um, so to a, to a large extent, that was really how me and my sister learned how to read, and um, especially Little Lulu, I think, is probably the most important comic uh, to me. And then of books, I don't know, there are just so many, yeah. too many to mention, but there's, you know, <laughs> the, the, my, my father's Dragon series is really great, the Moomin Troll books are really great. hear a lot of good stuff about Moomins. Yeah, People for love sure. Have you, have you read the books? I've read some of them. Some of the oh, Drawn and Quarterly great. ones. that Not well, the smaller ones. Mm-hmm. But she, I actually, I hadn't read any of the comics until the Drawn and Quarterly came out with them. Because um, there hadn't been mm-hmm. any available that I know of. But her actual novels, the, the novel books for kids, are super great as well. Uh, something that, that anybody should read it grown-ups and kids and like alike. Uh, no, I've I, it's, I've heard quite a lot. A lot of folks, I talked to Dylan Horks last week who uh, was talking about how big an influence Moomin was, and he didn't even realize it at the time on um, Hicksville. It's not something he realized until like 10 years later after mm-hmm. completing it. So, oh, that's neat. Fascinating work. Good comics. Yeah, yeah for sure. So Secret uh, Science Alliance was your, your next kids adventure. Mm-hmm. That seemed like a lot more uh, a lot more work jumping in. Mm-hmm. It's a huge amount of work. 
What was the, uh, did you kind of have an idea of how much detail and meticulousness you'd have going into it? Mm, <laughs> no. <laughs> it was definitely, a, uh, you know, it's always very easy to imagine, you know, when you're, you're, you're picturing the comics that you want to write in your head, and you say, then there'll be this awesome scene of a hideout, and it will just be filled with so much stuff, and you don't realize that that double-page spread is going to take you a full... You know, week <laughs> to draw, and uh, yeah, so that was that was really appalling when I started to to, to draw it and start to realize just how how many hours I was going to clock on that book. But I I believed so strongly that it was incredibly important to have all the detail in there mm-hmm. um, that I didn't ever want to pull back and like start you know start simplifying it up. It, I, I just felt like it was a vital part of the book. It, it seems like you kind of have a very specific mindset of who your audience with that book is, and you don't want to dumb it down? No, not at all. Uh, I was When I was a kid, I was, uh, I was very in... It, it's, hard to, it's hard to word this without sounding like I'm making fun of it, and it is kind of silly sounding, but I was really into the idea of like children's rights. Yeah. Uh, and I, I hated grown ups to talk down to kids. Um, you know, I was a, a relatively smart little kid, and, and uh, grown ups, it's so much easier for grown ups to think of children as being stupid. Uh, and they speak to children as if they're stupid. And the media that's that's made for children is often um, real bad, bad quality. Yeah. And uh, I had I had an incredibly good nose for that <laughs> when I was a kid, <laughs> and it made me furious. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like it, it didn't just make me think like oh like some grown up made this and it's not very good. Like I I actively thought that you know someone some adult was trying to like you know, screw me over (laughs) 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 by denying me high quality literature. (laughs) So, uh, I, I guess my, the most, the pickiest, uh, audience I could think of was myself as a child. And that was who I was trying to write for. How, what age group are you kind of pointing at? I don't know. I mean, it, 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 I guess, I mean, I was, the book, I guess, on the on the cover says, like, 8 to 12, and I think that that would have been the age at which I, I would have responded most fully to the book. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a little hard to remember. You know what, though? It's fun for me to read. Like, I don't feel, I think that's something successful, too, in that uh, it's not an age-defined book. Mm-hmm. That's I'm glad a, to hear it. You know, and that's something I've found that works with a lot of kids stuff is that ability to work on different levels mm-hmm. I mean growing up myself reading Mad Magazine I mean these guys were just making crazy comics and mm-hmm. that was their having fun doing it and they weren't going to go and make something really deliberately stupid I mean yeah. there was some pretty thoughtful stuff I mean there was the Don Martin gag strips were, were just pure you know slapstick but <laughs> there's nothing wrong with slapstick uh but no, it's it's uh, what works for kids. Like kids are smart. I guess what I'm mm-hmm. saying. They know when it's 
pandering. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I, I've, I can, I mean, maybe this is says more about me as an adult than it does about uh, children's literature as a whole. But uh, I haven't ever read. I would feel sorry for a grown-up who couldn't read some of the great works of children's literature. Mm-hmm. You know, who who would think that it was was childish. You yeah. know, who couldn't enjoy reading uh, Tove Janssen, for example, or the My Father's Dragon books, or or something like Treasure Island, or you know, even watching a, an episode of Sesame Street from back in the the eighties, like like that was good stuff, you know, and uh, and anybody should be able to appreciate it. Or even a Maurice Sendak comic. Exactly, like book. you'd have to be real close-minded, cynical I think, to. Right to to pick up a a a, a book by Maury Sendak and say like this is just for kids like this doesn't have anything to teach me mm-hmm. or offer me. Well, it's a and you know even like a more contemporary example like how much you know my niece really enjoyed Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know, pretty young, really loving Harry Potter, and it's you know that was just something someone wanted to write and she wrote and happened to be really su- successful, but it's what she wanted to do. It wasn't made in a group decision by a book company going this is what we think is needed and here make it for these kids right very much so I, I definitely don't think that just like that any grown up I think that some grown ups are more in tune with what mm-hmm. kids need to read yeah uh, I, I think sometimes grown ups make the mistake of thinking that um, kids can handle uh, anything yeah um, and in, in, in my case especially I, I wasn't able to to handle things that were uh, way too scary or way too negative. Um, so I, I do think that there needs to be an awareness that of the difference between uh, the needs of, of children as readers and of adults as readers. But but that being said, uh, I don't think that any truly high-quality uh, book or movie or comic for, for children um, should not be... Uh, able to be enjoyed by anyone. Mm-hmm. Now, are children's books something you want to continue doing? Um, yeah, very much so. Uh, I'm working on a kids' book. It's more of like a a teen book, I guess, a young adult novel. Right now, with my mom, it's a historical graphic novel. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, she's a history teacher. And, I love history. Uh, <laughs> I know it's going to be so great. It's about it's about a family in Samarkand in the 700s. Um, so that's a, a really interesting area of the world that I feel like doesn't actually get that much attention. I guess that would be where... Where is this? It's um, Samarkand. It's in where modern... Oh, gosh, I keep forgetting if it's Kazakhstan or Uzbekistan. But um, one of those mm-hmm. Central European countries that doesn't get much kind of off the radar at the moment because uh, you know former Soviet countries yeah kind of not Baltic or not Balkan states but north of that right right Uh, kind of north and to the east yeah so like kind of above and to the east of like Iran and things oh okay yeah 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 Yeah, no no right 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 so that was really interesting because um it's an interesting area because it's right on the uh, Silk Road, 
mm-hmm. uh, the trade route routes that were going between um, China to basically to, to all over Europe, and uh, the Samarkand was inhabited by a people called the Sogdians, who were kind of like the official traders of the Silk Road. And uh, I don't know. I, it was a it's an interesting period because um, it's it's dealing with so many issues that we think of as kind of modern mm-hmm. uh, globalization and culture clashes and stuff like that. Um, but you know, people have, have always been having to deal with that sort of thing. It sounds. Re- I'm I'm really fascinated. That's very unique decision of an area to cover and look at. Yeah, I, I it seemed fun to me to us to and. Uh, I'm just so excited to be able to to work with her. On yeah, it. have you ever collaborated with your mother on anything? Mm-mm. Nope. This is a first. Wow. I'm really I'm excited. She's a. I'm I'm a little bit. I get a little bit nervous about researching stuff, <laughs> and and, <laughs> and research is definitely what she loves to do. So, I think we're going to make a good team on that. I take it uh, visual historical accuracy is very important. Yes. Very much so. And the the Sogdians were cool because they did um, tons and tons of murals. Oh, okay. So uh, there's a lot of... of... Yes. Lots of visual records of, of how they dressed and what they valued and stuff. So a really neat culture and uh, really interesting people who are, are totally gone now. Totally uh, yeah. has been half you know destroyed and assimilated. It's no longer uh, a people who exist. Well, you're saying this takes place in 700... Roughly, mm-hmm. yep. So I mean, that's just that's so far away. I mean, it's a whole other reality. Yep. Very and just much so. all these different kind of issues in the world that just yeah, it's different. It's a fascinating point in time that I don't know enough about. Yeah, neither as far do as I. That area. Neither do we. Yeah, so <laughs> that's one of the reasons why we wanted. I don't know. Maybe that's a little bit overly challenging, or or maybe hubristic. Yeah. But uh, we we started out saying like let's study something that nobody talks about you know because you don't want to just do another thing about rome or whatever yeah yeah, yeah. There's, there's plenty of that out there it seems like medieval england yeah we, yeah, we've, we, know. we've we know it yeah. yeah i mean that's cool that's that's good stuff but there's there's just a lot of other parts of the world that that haven't that have kind of gotten short shrift i feel like well there's I'm, there's so much to learn there of that area i mean it's just i've studied some middle eastern history going back but only so far Mm-hmm. And so I don't know that far back. Yeah, very, very much so. Well, looking forward to it, Thank which you. will I'm, probably I'm be a while, eh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one of the things I've definitely learned is that uh, I'm not one of those super speedy workers. So uh, it might be a couple years. Well, how long did the Secret Science Alliance take? It took a really long time. Um, it took probably about a year to do all the... I was I was working on other projects at the same time to mm-hmm. some extent, but it was my main project. Um, a year to to write it, and then another seven months or so to um, pencil it. And while meanwhile, uh, my husband Drew Wine was inking it, mm-hmm. and uh, my friends Joey Weiser and Michelle Chittister were coloring it, and. Uh, um, Bryant Paul Johnson was lettering it, so <laughs> it was <laughs> it was this huge team effort, and uh, it still took so long. Mm-hmm. You know, even with splitting it up, um, kind of in an old style. 
studio. Uh, yeah, studio setup. It still took a really long time. Well, I mean, you can you can see like you you guys didn't. Uh, there's no shortcuts taken. Yeah. <laughs> And maybe that was a bit of a... I hope that that was the right move. I hope it wasn't just that we were being overly neurotic.
Now, does this kind of play a balance for your other work when you start getting really kind of working out some issues with your more, as I guess you put it, like your adult work? Mm, what do you mean? Does it does it provide balance? Like when you, you take on um, some tough subject matter, um, does this give you a chance to kind of step away from it? Yeah, and I think to some extent, um, for me, the difference between children's work and adult work is um, with my adult work, I'm often trying to figure out uh, what's wrong in in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, addressing problems or concerns that I have uh, about you know living living life as a human being. And to, to some extent, I think that the function of a of children's literature is to present a world kind of how you think the world ought to be, you know, um, how, a, a world that you would, that, the way that you wish that it was. Yeah. Uh, you know, not, not all like flowers and rainbows and stuff, but I wish that there was a world where kids could, you know, 11-year-old kids could ride their bikes by themselves all over town. Yeah. You know, is, is that so much to ask? Uh, I, I, don't, I don't feel like it is. And, and I like to, you know, I, I think that, that to some extent it's useful to, to remind ourselves and to remind kids what that could be like. Uh, you know, a world in which you could go out with your friends rather than having to stay inside and just watch TV all day. Yeah. Um, so to some extent, I, I think that they do balance each other and kind of perform different functions of the same basic desire, which is of having this life be better, mm-hmm. uh, a better life for everybody. That That kind of... You kind of like left me with a bunch of different thoughts. One is kind of seeing how that links to like a work like Beast Mother, mm-hmm. um, which is so odd and sad. Mm-hmm. And I mean, in one way, it would be great for kids to be able to read that. Another way, I don't know if people want their kids reading about <laughs> a giant beast with millions of children breastfeeding off of it. Um, right, right. It's definitely a it's a, a somewhat visually aggressive book. Yeah, but I mean, it, it. you've got, like, these two narratives in there where you've got the Beast who has her own happy world and these children seem happy with her. Mm-hmm. And then you've got the regular world which isn't happy with it and they find their happiness in it, but then the children lose their happiness. Mm-hmm. I hope I'm not or... spoiling this for everybody listening. <laughs> it's a good comic. Well, it's a pretty complex world, uh... And to some extent, you don't. Um, the the children. It's hard to know. Just you know, obviously the the beast mother is is, is happy in in that environment, but uh, seems like a pretty rough way to grow up. <laughs> I guess to me. But to some ex- <laughs> to some extent, I think that the it was better for the children to have been rescued. Or to, to be returned to their original family. Um, can I can I just spoil the, the book? Is that is that cool to? Yeah, no, it's your book. <laughs> cool. It's, well, it's a it's a um, 
just a real short little comic. I think it's only like 24 pages about a monster, a giant monster woman who has all these children, um, and they're all kind of living naked in this cave, and she feeds them uh, deer meat, you know, just raw deer meat, and breastfeeds them and stuff. They're all very feral. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then a hunter comes and uh, kills kills the monster mother, and it turns out that she's just kidnapped the children over a period of years uh, from a nearby village, and he's um, he's rescued the the children, and and their parents come and and are able to to take them home again. But the the children are not, <laughs> you know, they they're they're feral, and the only mom they've ever known has been shot. So it's it's a it's a confusing story, and I guess that its main function is to be confusing, um, is to kind of remind people of something that <sighs> seems so incredibly obvious, but I forget it, uh, everybody seems to forget it, which is that life is complex, uh, there are no clear answers, um, there are no bad guys. There are no good guys. Mm-hmm. There are just people trying to to do their best, and and even even then, even when everybody means well, uh, awful awful things happen. Yeah, I mean, and, see the terrible terrible hurt. The gr- regret of the hunter, and right, you know, exactly. One thing I really love about your mini comics. Mini comics, kind of a disservice almost, is the amount of work you put into the uh, the packaging as a whole. Oh, thank you. Um, when was that a conscious decision that you you and Drew made to kind of create these books by themselves that kind of hold so much? Um, I don't know. I mean, I guess it's just a it was a a lot of different things. Both of us really are like crafting things. We like building stuff. Um, we like working with our hands. Mm-hmm. Uh, comics are fun to make, uh, but they're in some ways not very, um, you know, you're working within a very uh, limited parameters. You know, you've got ink and paper, and, uh, and that's very satisfying in its own way, but it's also nice to kind of... Um, do more creative stuff with, or not not creative, but kind of just be able to to let loose a little bit and um, with the, the packaging to kind of do something that's a little more crafty and uh, playful. Yeah, a little more playful, a um, little bit more experimental. Use some different tools, use some different media's, uh, and the, so many of the mini comics that really excited us um, were these beautiful, beautiful packages. Uh, stuff like Dan Zetwalk's Ironclad, mm-hmm. um, some of the beautiful work done by uh, Partica. Um, I don't know if you've, you've seen any of their stuff, but what's but it called? Partica. I don't know. P a r t y k a. Maybe. Uh, yeah, they, they 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 hit all the cons, um, and their their stuff is just uh, just beautiful. Lots of really nice books and. Lots of silk screen stuff. Um, Sean Chang. I just uh, wanted to make sure that I had his name right. Sean Chang. One of his more beautiful ones is called Vengeance at Cackling Mountain. 
<laughs> and uh, that's completely, uh, I think it's a three-color silk screen on black construction paper. Oh, wow. Uh, maybe more colors, and it's just beautiful. Mm -hmm. um, it's probably out of print right now, so uh, I have a copy, and, you know, Ha ha ha! <laughs> 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 but uh, maybe you can write Sean and beg him to to do another one. There we go. Although if he's anything like me, he doesn't have any interest in uh, reprinting stuff because it 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 loses its delight after like the third printing. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> I could just like three... hmm? I could just imagine the work that's gone into like. The Beast Mother and to Bugbear. Yes. Yes. Very much so. We're never reprinting those again. <laughs> <laughs> I think <laughs> we've done like three reprintings at this point, and, uh, and uh, I, I have no interest in doing them again. It just becomes a chore after the first time. Um, it's a lot of work. We, we cut each of the Beast Mother covers out by hand with scissors. Oh, geez. It takes an un unmanageable amount of time. I think we've done like well over 800 copies by now. <laughs> so uh, folks could, should go and order whatever's left from you at... Uh... Yes, I think some of them... Some of them... We should probably restock the Little House shop uh, before before this comes out. Because we still ha do have some copies, but they might be technically sold out at the moment. Whatever is remaining, sell yeah. it all. <laughs> That's the hope, and then go on, go on to something new. Now, are you kind of finishing off with mini comics and just con focusing on published material like what you have with Mom? I guess it's it's tricky because I really do love making mini comics, but um, but if if I do if I do work that's good enough for to be published at all in a mini comic or otherwise, I guess I would like to have it be printed in Mom. I haven't done anything in there for a while because I've been focused on Secret Science Lines and stuff. But but it's just so cool to be part of. I really like that anthology, and mm -hmm. it can be printed in full color, and the distribution is so wide. Um, so it's it's kind of a sad bit of a trade off, I think, for 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 many artists is choosing between doing mini comics and which are, you know, you have the fun, creative aspect um, and between professionally published stuff where you, you lose a little bit of that that fun aspect, but also just so many more people get to see it. Um, your art show you just did with, I forget the person you did it with. Uh, Catherine Guillen. And it, what was the name of the show? Uh, Diplopia. Diplopia, that's right. I was mm -hmm. trying to... I mean, double vision. Um really fascinating looking through all the different art that was in it and one thing that really strikes me is you're really doing a lot of um, it seems like almost like a challenge of or you're finding a challenge within feminine identity within some of the work within femininity? feminine identity yes <laughs> very very much so uh, to a point where I almost feel a little bit sheepish about it but uh, <laughs> it's uh it's funny because, like, um, as an artist, I've often, 
I have a real weird relationship with with gender. Um, I sign my work, uh, E. Davis, to kind of be gender neutral. Um, I often feel a little bit jumpy about being defined as a uh, you know a, a female artist rather than just as a an as artist. A, yeah. Um, but at the same time, uh, I can't like work. <laughs> just uh, winds up being about uh, gender again and again and again. Um, you know, it's just something that really interests me. It seemed like a fight looking at your work. A lot of it yeah. seemed like you're really fighting with this concept, with this idea, yeah, and kind of so. where does it work within the whole, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, it's, 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 it's complicated enough that I can't even really explain mm -hmm. it to myself, um, you know, much less say anything that's coherent to the your radio. <laughs> 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 but uh, you know, there's just a lot of stuff where, you know, on one hand, I want people to respect mothers and to acknowledge uh, the value of of motherhood and domesticity but another half of me uh, has very violent reactions against that mm -hmm. um, a part of me thinks that motherhood is a trap for women that it's something that is there to stop them from leading full lives and to uh, you know trick them into to not following their careers uh, and stuff, which is is such uh, such a hurtful belief to have that you um, you have to do a particular thing just because of your right. I mean, like it's it's hurt. I mean, it's hard to explain, but it, to me, I think it's really hurtful to. Uh, to assume that women have to be mothers and have to be caregivers, but at the same time, uh, I know I know so many mothers. So many of my friends are mothers uh, at this point. Um, I'm 27, so a lot of my friends are having kids and raising children, and they feel like they've been uh, rejected in some way from the feminist community, mm -hmm. uh, who say like, you know, you've you could have been somebody, but instead you became a mother. Um, and so those kind of dual uh, arguments happening in my own head are something that bother me quite a bit. Because um, motherhood is a, I mean, it's, it's you can't, it, it's, it's a huge responsibility. And if you decide to be a mother, you, you can't necessarily, you are going to be spending a large amount of your energy and time uh, raising a child. And I, I think partially it's because at, at my stage in life, uh, being 27 and having all my friends starting to have babies, uh, it's, it's starting for me to be something that I've been thinking about a lot. Mm -hmm. Like, will I ever have kids? And if I have kids, will I still be able to... Uh, do the other things that are important to me. Um, yeah, so I, I have a lot of 
images in the Depopia show that are maybe uh, trying to explore both those things. Yeah. Um, pictures of, of women whose faces are being covered up by their own babies, whose faces are being covered up by their own pregnant bellies mm-hmm. and stuff. And uh, that's, that's trying to both explore the fear that I have of motherhood and also kind of the shame that I feel and the embarrassment that I feel that that I, I have this kind of negative feelings about motherhood. Yeah. It And it's unique within comics um, that you don't see a lot of this dialogue. Nope. <laughs> at, at all. Like, I remember, like, I inter- when I interviewed Carol Tyler and... I kind of I was reading one of her books and I was realizing like this is one of the few examples that I could really think of where it's a single mother experience you're reading about um and just being able to do this comic and even with that there's a lot of challenge where people kind of don't look at it from the context experiential and it kind of like well why is she in that position and um I don't know it's just it's not a dialogue that's happening within this mm-hmm. field. So I think it, it is good to inject that. And it is interesting to see kind of different voices. And it, and you're right, like the, the concept of um, feminine, feminist identity, not feminine, but feminist identity, mm-hmm. of that rejection of kind of stereotyped motherhood. But then there's folks that go into that. Like I think mm-hmm. Megan Kelso is a good example Mm-hmm. you know, who, who's made a conscious decision, you know, creative decision that is what she wanted and specifically doing what she intended. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's not something to be looked down upon, um, but I don't think it's also something to necessarily put an expectation upon. Right. And and not something to be taken lightly. No. Uh, and, and it's just a very human struggle, I think. Um, and one which is so complex uh, and and uh, not not easy to explain, mm-hmm. and uh, often I don't know. Like a, a a thing that I find in comics, I I don't know. I don't personally know any any men that I would say are uh, um what you that are sexist. You know, all the men I know are very, very much, you know, supportive of the women in their lives and respectful and, mm-hmm. and think that they're just as, you know, just those old patriarchal concepts, I think, don't exist in the same way that they used to, at least not among the people that I'm I'm close to. Among your peers. But, group. right. Uh, but there's still, I think, maybe a bit of a, mm, you know, I mean, how would, how would uh, a guy know quite what? those struggles are like mm-hmm. uh, it's not something that's easy to share it's when I uh, like when I first started doing the show I did the thing where in March I would do interviews with a whole bunch of women cartoonists looking at because it's women in International Women's Day March 8th and so I'd do something kind of connecting that all and then I after doing it for a couple years I realized like I'd kind of be waiting to interview people during that month Mm-hmm. And I realized, well, what am I specifically doing this? Am I looking at these women as cartoonists or as women cartoonists? And 
They kind of just made a decision to stop doing it. Oh, cool. Specifically because I'm interviewing cartoonists and mm-hmm. I'm not really asking the question. Like right now we're talking about identity, but I'm not asking, what's it like to be a woman cartoonist? Because that's mm-hmm. not... It's it's an important discussion, but it's an important discussion to be done right, not as a question, you know, what's it like to be a guy cartoonist? You know, it's what's your process and what's that right, process right, right. within it, so... Yeah, very much so. And it's, I think it's always a very tricky thing. You know, it's a, and I, I don't have a personal, um, a straight up answer to it, but, uh, and there is no answer. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's the same thing for any sort of group that's had less, you know, this is the same old argument as affirmative action and stuff like that. And it's, uh, I can very easily see the both, both sides of, of each argument. Mm-hmm. And to some extent, I think it is good uh, to actively seek out uh, underrepresented groups um, and, you know, point out the fact that they're underrepresented, uh, but then, you know, being careful to balance that with not defining them solely on their uh, identity in terms of their identity. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Maddie and Doty, I guess that kind of addresses a lot of the issues you've been talking about. Mm-hmm. Um was this kind of an early step into looking at that? Because that was done well before the work you just posted. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. Maddie and Doty, I mean, at this point, Maddie and Doty is like a good five years old, I think. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe a little less than that. Uh, so it's, it was, it was something I did when I, I think I was like 22 maybe 23 um, and so in some ways I don't think it's uh, a very mature work um, although it's still one that I'm you know I'm proud that I did it and you know, I'm not trying to knock it or anything <laughs> <laughs> but you know there's I, I don't know if there's quite the same uh, validity of, of uh, concepts there but you know it's about a um, an older sister who's probably in her mid twenties and uh, having to take care of her her younger sister, who's maybe about five, mm-hmm. would be what age she'd be, and uh, the difficulties there and her strange relationship with her boyfriend and their strange relationship with their grandfather who's dying. Um, but you know. There's definitely some some similar some similar um, themes, uh, not the least of which is exploring talking about the idea of human bodies and uh, the younger sister just having a child's body and the older sister having a grown-up woman's body and the grandfather having a a dying person's body. Mm-hmm. Well, it's fine work, anyways. Even if you think it's uh, <laughs> it's old. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Very nice. It's it's funny because like I made all these little notes to myself just reading the work, and I kind of feel like so much you you've covered. Like I was curious about like family interplay because that's something I've noticed within the work is just kind of the idea of family and how it works, and just mm-hmm. some challenge with it. Um, some it, it's it's fascinating. I think you've given a lot of great food for thought. Oh, thank you. So I think um, I think we're at a good point to 
to finish off. Right on. Thank you so much, Eleanor. Oh, thank you so much, Robin. That was that was really fun.